Hello and welcome to episode number eight of Feedback on Unwind Media. I am Rob Bittrell and every month I sit down with talented, extremely talented Ottawa oh musicians, <laughs> Damien and BL. As usual, you'll hear some music from Damien and BL throughout the episode. And this is, I gotta say, uh, this is a special month. This is a special week because you guys just played a bunch of tracks for the upcoming release of volume one of Feedback's music album how do you guys how are you guys doing today first of all i think i'm in the middle of a cold but i'm feeling pretty good despite that yeah yeah and i am happy having gotten all the stress of trying to record those songs live uh behind us yeah agreed yeah (laughs) we've been trying to schedule time to do that since probably september and finally got a couple of extra hours laying around and it turns out 2015 was actually chock full, and so 2016 is when we finally got time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, before the new year kind of kicks into gear and regular things happening, so yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, that is going to be coming out uh, whenever I get around to putting it together. <laughs> so hopefully within the next week or so, uh, that'll be 12 or possibly 13 tracks, uh, the music that was played in season one. And we'll figure out a way to distribute that, but it'll be easy and convenient. And if you guys want to support the show or just listen to it, uh, you'll be able to go do that. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So this, I believe, if if my scheduling is correct, this is probably going to be the last episode before you guys are in the studio. It's definitely the last episode that comes out before you guys are in the studio, but you're in full-on pre-production and how how's that going? Let's catch up a little. Last episode, we were explaining talking about pre-production now you're living it what's it like so to be completely frank the last couple of weeks were, were um, holidays for us mm-hmm. we usually take a sort of a sense of pluto hiatus for a couple of weeks but we're gonna hit it pretty hard next week when we begin to have a listening party for the three or four songs that we have uh chosen for the ep and what that entails is just going through the songs and trying to figure out you know different things that we want to keep for the song so that it it becomes more concrete Um, and we'll be able to go through the entire song front to end and figure out the dynamics of the song and what we want to add and what we want it to sound like ultimately. Okay. Yeah, we had a meeting uh, before the end of the year, before the end of last year, and um, just kind of went through and just made sure that we were on the same page for the kinds of things that we wanted from... Uh, the EP um, and realizing that, uh, you know, this would be the time to make any changes to any arrangements and stuff. And I don't think there's going to be any big changes to the way the songs are arranged. Uh, we've been playing them for a very long time. And so it seems like we've been able to work the kinks out of those songs, but then just trying to figure out additional parts that we can do now. Like when, when you're in the studio, you have, more um, at your fingertips where we can add other guitar parts, violin parts, um, other vocals mm-hmm. and, and different effects and things like that would, that we wouldn't normally be able to do um, at a live show. So um, I think we have the bare bones of each song figured out, but it's just being able to add those layers now to embellish the songs more, kind of make them uh, fuller. Uh, that, and that that's very exciting because it marry it combines the old with the new 
Okay. Right. So and that's 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 really exciting. To give you one example, in the introduction of one of our songs called Age I'm In, um, when we originally approached it, I hadn't envisioned this, but there's a little bit of a tapping of the cymbals with uh, with regular drumstick. But what um, a recent uh, um, uh, addition was to use what do you call those things? The foam tips, the little kind mallets. Like mallets, yeah. So when 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 that swell comes in with the mallet, I think I I, I, I like that one that approach. Okay. So it's these subtle changes that will build your arrangement and story a little bit better for the song. So something like that would be things we would discuss. So they weren't they're not overhauls, but okay, different things like that. So. And that that's kind of a weird thing. We we I know we touched on this last season a little bit, but maybe we can talk about it in the context of actually making an EP. Is that people who've listened to you before are used to something happening a certain way, and if you if you change something, even if it's just something small like that, it's it risks for for you guys yourselves changing the sound. It risks fans thinking either this is way better and it's great improvement, or thinking that you know it's different and now it's fundamentally a totally different song is that is that a concern or is it just sort of like yeah we're just gonna make the best thing we think we can make i personally don't think it'll make a difference because the way i approach songwriting and what i've seen other people have said is that and they all align to this one point is that if you strip it down to even just the guitar and the voice and it still works mm-hmm. that means there's something there that won't ever change no matter what you do to it i think okay yeah, there's not going to be any major, major changes. Uh, it's funny that we're kind of doing this in reverse because usually like uh, a band will have an album come out and then tour in support of that album. Yeah. Uh, but we've been playing shows for a couple of years with these songs and now we're putting out an album. That's kind of a reverse kind of a reverse <laughs> thing, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it works because maybe like people have seen it live and they, we've actually had people come up and say that they, if we had an album, they would buy it in right. heartbeat, mm-hmm. or um, that they want to be able to have us on their phone or on their iPod so that when they're walking, you know, they can listen to us. So I guess it kind of works in that reverse way that like they've seen it live, they've seen it up close and personal, and now they want it on their iPods rather than hearing it on your iPod or on your computer and then wanting to go see it live. That's sure. usually the way it goes. Yeah. But I think, uh, I think it'll be fine. I think, uh, I, I'm hoping that people will be pleasantly surprised at just how much depth we've, uh, gone into with, with each song. I think they know what to expect. And I think that we're not going to try and we're going to try not to overproduce Sure. Songs. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm not going to auto tune the, the crap out of my, my voice or <laughs> right. something like that, you know, but, but I think that until be, the remix are released, <laughs> the remix, right. all the remixes yeah. will, that will be, yeah. Cause we'll do a hip hop <laughs> remix album next. Uh, yeah, I think I hope people, I sincerely hope people would be pleasantly surprised and just that it'll be just like a broader sound, a fuller sound. And a clearer sound, you know, yeah. half the time, do people actually know like the, the detail that we put in with words, the lyrics, the solos, like, you know, yeah. I, I hope the lyrics that I've written aren't going to be under scrutiny because people, because <laughs> people maybe haven't been able to hear all the lyrics, uh, as, as clearly up until right. when, like, when so, they receive it. You're right. Yeah. I've never thought of that. Like they're going to actually know what. We're saying. Well, they're comparing to Selena Gomez, so you're probably fine. <laughs> <laughs> probably going to be okay. 
So you mentioned a listening party. Now, what does that involve? I think we were trying to find a really easy way to describe the way we want the songs to end up. Mm-hmm. But being a short of writing out each note on a staff, we were thinking, uh, what's another way to approach this where everyone is clear what everybody wants? And I figure if we gather the troops and watch or watch uh, where we listen to the songs together, we can start kind of start and stop different bits and say, I want this here and that there okay. short of writing everything down in like notation. Because sure. yeah. I think, I certainly can't do that. <laughs> Damien, you might take some more time. Really, Christina would be the only one to okay. do it really quickly. Sure. And for all the layers that we have, it might be a little hard to do. Yeah, so we yeah, figure yeah. if we can write it down in words and people understand, then that's good enough to go into studio. Right. Right. So. Sure. Yeah. Just uh, just be able to review the song so that we can put together a plan. And once again, just make sure that we're all on the same page with, with each song. Um and so that we can make the best use of our time when we're mm. when we're in the um, the studio, trying not to waste time trying to figure out the song and sure. things like that. And honestly, it just we kind of sat down and decided that's the best thing. I mean, again, like our path as a band, it's sort of unconventional, I'd say. Right. Yeah. How much of the the pre production time is actually playing? Like, is, is there practicing or are you guys basically, you, you have the songs down pat to the point that you could, in theory, go into the studio today and start recording it and it'd be as good musically as, as you're capable of? That we could, we could go and record what people hear live, mm-hmm. uh, which is just a four piece. Yeah. But I think a lot of the playing is going to come from when we're adding like rhythm guitar parts or lead guitar parts. When we're doing harmonies, when we're adding more strings, maybe when we're adding more percussion, like we're going to have to play those pieces out um, beforehand to figure out what we're going to do. So, I mean, I don't I don't know if we'll touch the what's already been established musically, uh, but uh, anything I would say anything in addition to what people hear. when when they come see us uh, play live would be what we'd be playing over the next few weeks before we go in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Louder and louder and louder Baby, 
Okay, so the EP is coming up the beginning of February. And well, 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 we're going to the studio. Yeah, that's what beginning. I mean. You're going into the studio. <laughs> It'll t- I don't know how long it takes after that before we can release it and stuff. Right. So you have from today, January 2nd, as we're recording, there's a little over a month. What still, like other than kind of getting the arrangements together, what still needs to be done? Like, do you go to the studio beforehand? Do you like test out if the acoustics still work in the in the space? Like how, well, what's involved? Like what else is involved? I mean... I think we'd like to meet with Dean at least once just to say, hey, is this still the plan? Here's our plan. Here's the listening party. Here's our notes. Do you think this is doable? Kind of talking about because there was an idea where we would do live off the floor with four pieces and then layer stuff on top. Is that still the way to go? What kind of extra things do you have? Like if we add strings, do you have cello or bass or whatever? You know, like so. Dean, Dean being Dean, Dean Watson. Yes, Dean uh, Watson, of course. Uh, Gallery, Gallery Studios. Studios in the Glebe, mm-hmm. Ottawa, Ontario. Sweet. Uh, yeah. So basically just figuring out those um, those additional parts and then, yeah, perhaps meeting with uh, producer Dean to, uh, to make sure that we uh, agree on the approach so that when we come in there, we... Just get right to work. But you're right. He had suggested we had met him a while back. He showed us around the studio very graciously. And um, and he had suggested for something of our level and simplicity that it might be worth it to just do an initial recording where everybody's playing together in this in this room. And he's got this fantastic room. His his recording studio is part of a church. Okay. And there's like this big room where he does live off the floor recording. It's got this like grand piano and I'm really excited to play. Wow. And, um, and so we probably just, uh, set up there, do an initial track that's live, and then we can, uh, use that as kind of the bare bones and then build on top of it, um, the additional parts that we need, um, and, and go from there. So <clears throat> we generally as a band only meet once a week. So it's actually not that much time right, to like think about, you know, four like, days. Y- yeah. 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 So that's what it basically boils down to. So, yeah, but it's very exciting stuff. And, but I mean, you've, you've asked a number of questions about how we need to be prepared. Mm. And I think the other side of it is when I wa- and I love watching these like behind the scenes for every album. And I think every album is almost like takes a life of its own and it'll have its own story with its own challenges. And a lot of the time, you know, Miles Kennedy says it's like capturing lightning in a bottle. And sometimes it's not about how prepared you're. Obviously, you have to be as prepared as possible. But sometimes you take these twists and turns as you're recording that make that album what it is. Um, for better or for worse. Right. Um, so the other half of the equation is simply to be open-minded about what happens when we enter that space, given our, you know, arrangement and our factors and our fatigue or enthusiasm, and it'll become what it is and we have to own what it will be. Okay. No matter what it is. Right. Sort of thing. So that's the other sort of more esoteric um, element. Right. Are you guys looking forward to you? We talked, years ago now about how when you, when you guys visualized finally recording something in a studio, you wanted it to be playing all together and recording that. And now that it looks like that's, what's going to be the plan. That's what you guys want to do. And you're still able to do that and then add things on top, but the base is going to be live together. At least that's the goal. Is that like, is that, does that feel like an accomplishment or is it just sort of the thing that is happening? 
I just I feel like it's us. I feel like well, there there's there are certain advantages to playing live together all in the same room. One of them, one major one for me is that now we're at a point as a band where we can just look at each other and know exactly what needs to be done. Um, and you just feed off the energy of each other. Um, and we've done some kind of preliminary type of like recording studio stuff where I, I'm in a room by myself with, with the piano and the vocals and I can see BL and Christina, but I can't directly interact with them. Sure. And it, it just makes me feel closed off and I might not put in as much effort as I would when we're all together. It's, it's just something about being in a room together playing music that I think gives me more energy. Uh, it, it, it actually, I think promotes more cohesiveness in the, in the sound because we're just, we're kind of I don't want to say like telepathically connected, but we kind of are. Um, and so I think that that's the same sort of energy that you get when you play live in front of a crowd. Now, when you add the crowd, then the energy level goes up because the crowd gives you the energy, you give it back and it kind of like snowballs from there. But, um, I think there's something very special about playing something live together that will give put that energy in and and you can probably that energy is probably noticeable or palpable when you're listening to the song and, right. and i think that that's exactly it. it 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 sounds like it's sort of psychic or unmeasurable and sort of artsy fartsy or whatever yeah, touchy-feely yeah. but scientifically i think they were saying i think i posted an article about and we can link to this mm. too where they measured the brain activity of people doing choir and stuff, and they measured a whole bunch of life outcomes, and they discovered that there's a scientific basis to making music together that's very social. And like Damien says, I think that's definitely palatable. And when you're not in that social frame, people can hear. It's almost um, automated and robotic when it's not like that. So I think by being in the same room and doing that, it first of all makes music that we enjoy listening to, but second of all, I think there's like a scientific social uh, angle to it that we're kind of capitalizing on. So I, uh, I'm, I'm excited for that for sure. Sure. Like I said earlier, we're kind of doing this backwards where we played these songs live uh, a lot, and um, and now we're recording them finally. Um, I think that our audience members have, I think generally that they enjoy themselves when they come see us play. And it's just now I feel like we have to try at least to replicate that same energy that they've become used to, um, onto this album. Because for me in the reverse, it's very disappointing when I hear something that sounds so great on the album. <laughs> yeah. And then when I go see the person live, it loses all of its energy. It loses mm -hmm all of the feeling and, um, and, and that's just, that's just very disappointing to me. So like I said before, like we're kind of doing it in reverse, but I don't want that to be the case. I don't want us to, you know, kind of give it all we have when we're playing live for the audience and they really feel the energy. And then when they hear it, uh, on a recording, it kind of seems a little watered down, a little subdued. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's definitely really disappointing. And I know that, in my in my experience at least country acts seem to have that kind of the same recording feel on stage like they they sing really well they play they're very good with their instruments it's not like they go into the studio and they just play it 
terribly until they get one good one. Yeah. It's like they, they hit it every single time. And so you go and see it live. It's really great. Uh, I feel like that's, that should be the aim of every artist, obviously time constraints and, and talent constraints are going to change things. But yeah, you, you guys can obviously play live because you came like same, same way American Idol winners are really good at singing live because that's what they've been doing. Yeah. And so when it comes to recording an album, of course they're going to be good because they can sing. And you guys are kind of the same way. You've come up not just in a studio. You've come up performing live where you have to be good every time. And mm-hmm. arguably that format of taking yourself from either the garage or from your bedroom to outside that transition for us it was pretty easy because we always had performance in mind as number one. And now we're going to try to capture that and put this into an EP. So I think we did sort of go backwards, but I'm actually quite comfortable with that approach. Yeah, I really, I really like it. Yeah. Cause I know of other bands too, who, who have played songs before they've gone into the studio and they road test songs. They, right. they, they'll rap, they'll include a new song in their set and kind of test that out and then put it in the studio. And so I think when you play something live in front of an audience, then it just, there's just a certain level of expectation from mm-hmm. the song. Um, but you're right. It's, I, I, my goal is always to try and make sure that anything that I do in the studio is, can be replicated live and vice versa. Like anything that I do live, I just don't want to lose that feeling. Like when I'm writing a song, I have a certain sort of feeling or vision for how that song should sound, like what kind of energy level, um, what kind of intensity it should be. And I just don't want that to get lost anywhere mm-hmm. in the process. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, just trying to, just trying to consciously make sure that the song sounds like the song in whatever way that we're playing it. Sure. There's another aspect as, as someone who listens to music and doesn't necessarily make a lot of it, like I play, I pick up the guitar every year or so and, and try to play it, but there's something to be said for a song where at least most of it, obviously there's going to be backup singers and there's going to be multiple vocal tracks, but where you can listen to a song and you can sing along to the entire thing. There's no point where it's very, very clear that the person isn't singing every line at like all straight, straight through because there's either overlapping or there's, I'm, I'm coming, having trouble coming up with an example, but you hear it all the time where in some cases it's very clear, just kind of continuation of the person singing. But, and then in some cases, usually in pop, it's more likely where it's very clear. They, they cut pieces together. It's just, there's no way that the person could go from one to the other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then, but then that makes it hard for them to replicate it. Yeah, exactly. It makes it yeah. hard to do. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't be comfortable with that. Like, I don't want, I would feel like I'm fooling the audience and I would feel like I'm, uh, that I'm cheating a little bit. If I do something that's not humanly possible live, I I always want to be able to just replicate whatever I do live. I just feel like it's more of an honest approach. Uh, being honest about what you can do. You yeah. don't want to misrepresent yourself. Right. Just to be clear, this, this happened this week as we were recording with BL. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> this talking. This is the first time we did it. This no, no. is the first time we did but it. Listen though. though, I'm not, I'm not talking about that where you kind of, where you play something and you get like a really good first section of a song. And then in another take, you get a really good second section of a song and you put them together where there's a natural gap in the song. I'm talking about, where a singer is singing some one part and then they're also singing either their own backup or they're singing a different section. And it's very clear that it, it, they had to do it twice. Yeah. 
like that it's obvious and so you can't you actually can't sing along to it because either yeah they're either singing their own backup or there's an echo or something yeah. it just can't be done the only time i think that you really can replicate on stage is someone like ed sheeran which we've talked about before uses his own loop pedal yeah and so he he can actually generate a loop of himself singing or playing something and yeah. then add it back in but that's that's not what majority of singers are doing no, no. they're adding their own backing tracks and i mean there's a there's a trend in concerts now that where they'll actually have backing tracks where, so the singer doesn't actually have to sing the whole song. Like they don't have to sing the chorus. They can, they're going to be dancing or doing something. Right. Like I went and saw Taylor Swift this summer and like, obviously she's not lip syncing the song. She's not lip syncing any, the parts of it, but you can hear her voice pre-recorded for parts of the song. Right. And so she can focus on singing the hard parts and then parts like the chorus, she doesn't necessarily have to sing all the lyrics to it. I wonder if that, yeah, yeah, like Taylor Swift, um, anyone, Jason Derulo, who does a lot of dancing on stage. Yeah, that's generally what they do. But um, I wonder if it's also a budget thing, though, too. Like, rather than paying session musicians to come in and sing backup. Maybe, yeah. They just go and do it themselves. (laughs) Sure. And then live, they just play. But I never. Yeah. I never really enjoyed that. I feel like all aspects of live music should be live. That's my personal I, feeling it's I probably more you, expensive. Yeah. Sounds a lot better, more organic. I don't yeah. want something to, someone to press a button and have the chorus play. I mean, that's my own personal right. opinion, yeah, yeah. but I know. Uh, well, my wife loves Taylor Swift, and so she watches a bunch of behind the scenes stuff. And I know that they have one of the producers, Jack Antonoff, did some of the vocals on the album as well. Just because they're they're in the studio, they're putting things together, and they just need either like a background harmony or like a chorus or something they just get in and they sing it they just is make... jack antonoff the guitarist for fun is that him i don't know i have no idea him. okay so go ahead sorry <laughs> it's possible he's yeah he's a he's a producer on that album and a bunch of other stuff but yeah um so it's always interesting to hear that but obviously he's not gonna be out on stage singing backup when they do the live version it's gonna be backup singers or someone else i i like the thought of having something that is in the studio being replicated on stage and and having the actual instruments and singers there. Yeah, but yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, we wanted to have uh, an episode going, going to a different medium TV. We wanted to have all the arrested development people together for season four, but that time constraints and people can't always get there. And so they have to be very creative in how they put these things together. Yes, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. That uh, Taylor. So Taylor Swift's 1989 tour, she also brought people out a lot, yes. right? Yeah. Like guests. Guests, mm. guest singers. And actually your Performers. wife, your wife was saying that sometimes, sometimes it was just kind of spur of the moment. Like they knew the that day of, yeah, those people were going to be in at the show anyway. So they asked, so I'm just wondering, like, did it ever seem clumsy? Like, <laughs> yeah, did, yeah, you know, yeah. like if that person not like if Taylor sings their song mm-hmm. or if they sing a Taylor song, like, I wonder, like, that kind of ties into it, too. Like, how mm-hmm. clumsy, how different was it? Like, do people not enjoy it because all of a sudden you have Mick Jagger singing a Taylor Swift yeah, song yeah, yeah. Or, or whatever? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it's fun. I'm sure it's a really great idea right. that she had anyway. Yeah. But, but, um, but yeah, I guess sometimes sometimes it could work if you throw in mm-hmm. a little bit of a difference to the song in, in the mix. Uh, but I've also seen it where it doesn't work, where you have, like, yeah, these... Yeah. Superstar. It's funny. A lot of a lot of superstar musicians don't know how to sing in a group or sing with someone else. Right. Like they're used to being in the spotlight. Um, I always try and like 
I, I, I'm comfortable as a soloist, but I also love being backup vocals or like a harmony sure. uh, singer. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it can get a little clumsy if you have uh, t- too many big egos on the, sure. on the stage. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I know from my experience this summer, like Keith Urban was the guest that Taylor brought on in Toronto when we were there. And it definitely wasn't like I wouldn't, it wasn't bad by any means, but it definitely wasn't the best performance of the songs. And like, it's clear you don't, you have like a day or two to practice. They're not going to fly in a couple weeks before and, and learn it with you. Like she's touring around the world. But for me and probably for a lot of other people, it's a new thing. They've never heard these two people sing the song before. So it, they're just really enjoying the experience. And I, I really enjoyed it too, even though it wasn't like, you're willing to forgive some of the flaws of it not being absolutely flawless compared to all the other songs in the set because they've been, they have been practicing those for months. And so for me, at least that was the, the awesome part of the experience was hearing something that I'd never heard before, even if it wasn't. Or reinterpreted, I guess. Yeah. 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 I suppose some songs for the artist are are for the artists though. Like some songs are just fun. (laughs) Yes. Like they don't really care if the audience, like it's great if the audience enjoys it, but I suppose that's how you make it uh, fun and, uh, fresh for yourself. If, if you change it up like that. Um, I know Hosier in his lineup has a Ariana Grande song oh, yeah. and he yeah, always yeah. says like, this is just for fun. <laughs> like this is not, you know, don't judge um, me on this. Yeah. This is just something we like to do for fun. Uh, just have a great time and just like bear with us on, yeah, on this yeah. one. Yeah. I think the one example that I heard, uh, Julia mentioned from the, the 1989 tour was John legend. He, she was just, it was day of, and she heard that he was going to be there, and she was like, I really want to sing with you. And so in that case, you probably don't even get to, maybe you get to sound check, but like there's no preparation. You just kind of go up there. And they're, they're both amazing performers, and so they can obviously do it. It's physically possible, and they just yeah go for it. That's the other thing. They do it so much that uh, that they could probably just pick up and go. Yeah. I, I would love for, you know, if we were singing and some like really famous person says, hey, can we play the song with you? I'd be like, yo, let's do it. Yeah. So down, like, you know? Yeah. We, we have actually, that's kind of an interesting segue into talking about uh, another thing that I have on here that I want to talk about. Biela, you're now running an open mic. And that's, yes. the, that's the kind of thing where you can get people just that don't necessarily play the same style of music or don't necessarily know each other that well, come together and perform something. Yes, that's right. Um, the kind of highlight of 2015 when I did run it, I think it was the last one of the year. Um, someone by the name of Amanda, I didn't know this at the time, uh, Amanda used to run the open mic at Quinn's. So that's 1070 Bank Street every Sunday if you want to come by and say hello. Um, <clears throat> Amanda was someone that ran this open mic three or four years ago. And she, someone had told me, oh yeah, Amanda's here. I'm like, okay, cool. I guess she's going to come and have a few drinks and this and that. So she stepped up and played. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, it's nice to have some sort of continuity in this event and people right. come back and we've built a, she's successfully built a community and, you know, now we're kind of taking the um, torch or sure. carrying it yeah. on forward. And someone had told me kind of in passing and then that very night you know she's traveled the world and this and that and lo and behold i google her name she's this well-traveled award-winning juno nominated artist now and she was right there performing for us <laughs> absolutely for free yeah. um hitting the harmonies and she had her own like group of friends who were all very musical and we had a blast and something like that it's like wow you can't even pay money to get that to happen sure. again yeah, yeah. it's such an amazing experience that's awesome yeah that's what you get though. Open mics are really great for 
for getting people off the street who are from all walks of life. They might be, they might not be a Juno award. No, no. You know, they might be introverts in every other sense of their life. And then they get up and they just, they sing. Right. No matter who. And then people who've never met before that, because I've been to that one and I've been to other open mics where it's just people who've never met before, uh, sing together because they know the song. And that, that's yeah. the thing is like, Music. music is just a very unifying thing where yeah. like no matter who you are, where you come from, like if you love a particular song and you know it, then it just creates this connection. If you can, if you can perform it uh, right. together. And I think that kind of goes nicely into the next thing that was there is uh, the point about people thinking, Oh, well I can't carry a tune in a basket and I can't play music. Well, the thing is, I want this community to be built and to be supportive of people who want to try at least. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. really, if you can master four chords, you can do a song. <laughs> it's not that hard. And yeah. I keep trying to tell people this, and I think I've really enjoyed helping people who are a little bit shy on the shyer side. And um, Sarah, being one of my friends who has never sung, paired up with Eileen to do the Cup song by Anna Kendrick. Kendrick. And they nailed it and people were clapping and, and that goes to show, you know, if you put a little bit of effort, it's really not that hard to do. And I want to share that experience and that excitement with people. Um, yeah. So that's sure. open mic. I had me a boy turn him into a man, show him all the things that he didn't understand. Whoa. Then I let him go Now there's one in California Who be cursing my name Cause I found me a better lover In the UK Until I made my getaway One, two, three They're gonna run back to me Cause I'm the best baby That they never gotta keep one, two, three, they're gonna run back to me. They always wanna come, but they never wanna leave. X's and O's, they haunt me like a ghost. They want me to make them up. They won't let go. X's and O's. I had me a summer lover down in Kept them warm in the winter, left them freezing in the spring. My mind, how the seasons go by. Well, I get high and I love to get low. So the hearts keep breaking and the heads just roll. Well, you know, that's how the story goes. One, two, three, they're gonna run back to me. I'm just baby that they never gotta keep One, two, three, they're gonna run back to me They always wanna come, but they never wanna leave Exes and O's, they haunt me Like a ghost, they want me To make them all, they won't let go My exes and O's, they haunt me Like a ghost Climbing over mountains and sailing overseas. 
One, two, three, they're gonna run back to me. They always wanna come, but they never wanna leave my axes. And oh, 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 they haunt me like a ghost. They want me to make them up. Oh, oh, they won't let go my axes. And oh, 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 they haunt me like a ghost. It, that actually leads kind of nicely into the, the other thing that we wanted to talk here uh, about is you have a point here about not being able to understand music, not being able to sort of have a background of music theory. Does that, should that stop you from performing or from trying? Um, you, I mean, you're going through lessons right now, BL. Yeah. Um, what's your experience been as you learn music theory to kind of back up what you already know about performing? I think I've always approached music from a emotional or sort of untangible perspective. So I listen to it. I can mimic it. It makes me feel something. So now I'm going back to look at the mechanics of it. What makes these chord progressions feel that way? And it's sort of backwards almost because yeah. a lot of people often learn the mechanics first and in learning the mechanics, they may not kind of put their emphasis on the emotional or the uh, how it feels or sounds, mm -hmm. but to focus on the mechanics. So I kind of come on it sure. backwards yeah, that yeah. way. Um, so my short, long and short of it is no, because it's an experience. It's a social thing. I really don't think that people uh, need to absolutely stop themselves from playing or listening or enjoying because they don't know any music theory. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, at first, and I tell this story all the time, is that people are like, oh, yeah, you know, Brian, you're so good and this and that. I'm actually very uh, scared sometimes when I'm playing with Damien <laughs> or Christina because they're actually trained. Um, it's a weak spot of mine. And so I am not trained. I, <laughs> I don't know. I have I've just been in a lot of choirs and I've played in bands and I've, I took music in high school. But uh, I wouldn't say I'm trained. See, I, just, I haven't at all zero, basically. I just but. have some level of understanding uh, of music theory, a very, very basic level that helps me when, when I wanted to contribute more to the band, help me to learn instruments and, and um, you know, understand uh, harmonies and, and, you know, other, other things like that. But I definitely think, like, just thinking, thinking about it for a second, like, music has been around, I would say, longer than music theory has been around. Mm -hmm. People people yeah. have been playing music for thousands upon thousands of years before there was any sort of notation, any sort of... Like, music theory came afterwards when right. they were trying to put logic to yeah. this human feeling, to this human experience and, and sort of uh, uh, vehicle of expression that is music. So I don't think that you have to have a theory, uh, a theoretical basis in music um, in order to start playing it. So many successful, uber successful artists don't know how to read music. They don't understand. Um, Paul McCartney is the hugest example that I can come, uh, come up with. One of the most, uh, accomplished musicians in the history of music. And he doesn't know how to read music. Right. Nope. Yeah. And, but he, you know, he's incredibly talented because he might go from ear and feeling. And I think it's, it takes a bit of both. I know how to read music, but I can also play music by ear. 
Um, and, and it, I'm not a, a master at either of those things, but I think a little bit of both, uh, is, is ideal. But if you just have this natural ability to, to play, to understand, uh, or if you just love music, I think that's enough for you to try and start. You don't, uh, don't feel like it's a daunting task. Um, because yeah, like you said, BL, like you, you went off by, by your ear and by your feel, um, in the like beginning it, and now it, you're kind of going through yeah, trying to, you know, f- trying to put sort of logic to, to what you're feeling. And, and to this day, I still can't not can't, but <laughs> limited. I'm still learning a lot yeah, about what yeah. a third is and what the third chord in a C is and uh, a third to the fifth. Of the, and I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. And then when I yeah. hear it and I go, Oh, that's what you mean, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm still trying to marry the two, but I think because of where I'm coming from, I'll always be a, a person that plays from the heart rather than yeah. with mechanics, I think, just as a habit, unfortunately. I, yeah. I also I think that um I think that it's you have to be careful with how much training you allow yourself to go through as well. I I am trained, let's say, in music theory and I can read music, but I'm not vocally trained. I don't I've never had like a vocal coach or teacher or anything like that. And I, I have some friends who had vocal training, but their teacher pigeonholed them into a certain type of singing and into certain technique that they cannot otherwise break out of. And it's something that when you're trained a certain way by a certain person, it's going to be very hard for you to do anything different than what than what that is is you have to so you have to allow yourself to be versatile it's good to know um what to do with your voice and and what to do with an instrument um so that you have the basis there for your voice it's good to know a proper technique so that you can breathe properly which is a very important thing so that you don't hurt your voice so you don't overextend your voice but i would say be careful not to let someone tell you uh exactly how to sing and kind of like force you to only be able to sing that way because the voice is a muscle and it's also like kind of like clay like it'll be molded by your experiences for me it's molded by who i listened to when i grew up right um and who i listen to now i'm still listening to certain things and and loving certain techniques that other artists are doing and i'm trying to like incorporate that when i sing but i never i was always very wary of letting someone touch my voice and like say Mm -hmm. like you should sing this way and you should sing that way because i i want to be free i don't want to uh, be sort of like uh, pigeonholed into right. a certain... And, and, and arguably, when we say music theory today or in this context for right now, we mean the A, B, C, D, E, F, G, 12 yeah, note, yeah, yeah. Western, right? So what I learned as I was kind of in my musical journey is that, well, this Western notation, Western style of music is really, really good at harmony. So notes that go together, it's really harmonically complex. But mm-hmm. if you want something that is more rhythmically complex, you may look at things like African or South American music that's rhythmically very complex. But um, in terms of melody and being melodically complex, it could be Indian or Eastern because they have more than 12 notes. There's like uh, not flats, but like like little subtle differences between the 12 that they use in their music. So to, to, to say music theory really is a narrow thing if we yeah, think just yeah. the 12 notes and that uh, staff, that treble clef and that staff. Mm-hmm. So really... Um, <laughs> 
it just goes to show that music is something that transcends languages and transcends cultures because various cultures have different ways that they organize music, but it's all just, it's all just the product of a various culture or a various mindset of, or approach trying to, uh, trying to make logical sense of this sort of otherwise intangible thing. So yes, when we talk about music theory, we're talking primarily about the Western approach to music theory, but we know that there are other like Eastern Southern sort of approaches to, to music theory um, as well, which I think supports the fact that music is like sort of universal. Right. Which is to say, to go back to Damien's point, really don't let anybody pigeonhole you learn (laughs) as much as you can about many different songs, many different genres. And hopefully through those and pulling the things that you like that you can you know do and make your own voice and then go and do it. Show people, don't be shy about it and come to my open (laughs) mic every Sunday (laughs) at Quinn's 1070 bank street. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) pretty much every field like every time i go and think about something uh and music so music's a great example things like i mean pretty much every academic subject you could study it it starts off simple you think oh you know like i know music i listen to the top 40 and i know who paul mccartney is and all some people don't that's that's a good start that's great that you know who paul mccartney is (laughs) but when you get into you can get into music you can pick up a guitar you can learn a few covers you can play some music and then think, now I know music. I, I thought I knew music then. Now I've got this guitar. Now I really know it. And then you, someone shows you the, like, even just Western uh, music theory. And you're like, I don't know music at all. And then you can go and learn that theory. And then someone cannot come to you with something totally different. Like, it, every time you get to a certain point, you realize that it just goes another level deeper and it's even broader like, than you uh, could like have possibly. Like plateaus, like breaking your personal plateaus and yeah. learning more and more and more. Yeah. And the, the, every, the more you learn, the more that you have available to learn next and the more you have to kind of broaden your horizons to actually take it all in. Like it's terrifying to think. I, I have tried to sort of study music theory a little bit just to try to understand it for myself better, just like I've done with all kinds of things, like with chemistry in my uh, academic life, like I've done with programming, like all of these things. And the more I realize it, the more I just realize how much more there is. Like when I did my, I did my master's in chemistry, I, I kind of did the academic version of pigeonholing myself, realizing that by doing a master's in one specific thing, I'm trained in that thing, but it doesn't mean that I can go get a job doing any kind of chemistry. It means I can do one specific thing. And so I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing as much as it it would be because, you know, your brain is much more plastic than, than your voice would be once you get trained in a certain thing. Like I could learn a different kind of chemistry. It doesn't, it doesn't block me in that way, but I have felt like now that I've learned, I'd learned physical chemistry, I it would take years to go back and restart going down an organic chemistry route. So it takes a lot of work and there's a lot of stuff that, that goes into it. I, it, it's so weird. Like going back to music theory, I thought when I took, I took like six months of guitar lessons, I thought, you know, I, I couldn't really learn anymore. Like I have these books in front of me. I, I'm learning chords. I'm learning a little bit about notes and, and, how these things come together, but I absolutely know nothing about music. All I've learned in talking with you guys and in, in trying to learn more about music theory is that I know less than 1% of 1% of everything there is to know about music. 
but the the point being though is that if you only know C A minor G and F, that's your music. Yeah, and if yeah, you yeah. can tell your story with C F A whatever the four mm-hmm. I just yeah. said, then then do that until you go into sevens or whatever it is, and and that's your version. That's yeah. your lens upon life. You should go and do that. You yeah. know. You don't, and, and I don't yeah, there. definitely don't be discouraged by yeah, it. Yeah, don't Just, be discouraged there's, by it. There's so much out there, and yeah, go. Yeah. Go and do. Try. Yeah. No, there, well, there is no try. <laughs> How did I know that was going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So maybe we'll do one more before we go. Uh, there's one here that I want to talk about. Damien and I were talking a couple of days ago about this. Uh, just, you know, being part-time musicians, being guys who have a job that you do during the day, during the week um, and defining yourself. Like I know that right now I'm currently not working, but I've worked in the government for most of the last year. And I, I never wanted to say when someone asks, what do you do? Like, what do you do for work? What do you, what are you like? How do you define yourself? I never thought, Oh, you know, like I work for the government. I want to tell them about, this music show I do, or I want to tell them about other stuff I do or the videos that I make or the, this great band that I work with. How do you guys feel about that? Like leaving work and then going to try to like make it in the thing you love. I always, I always consider, uh, my work as the means by which I can do what I really love. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it gives me, it, it fulfills me to a point as well because I work at the Micronutrient Initiative and that's a, a organization that does great things for people um, who are deficient in vitamins and minerals around the world. And so that's that's a really great positive thing that I'm doing and I feel really proud and happy that I can be able to work at a place like that. But if I had to identify myself as a person, I would say that I'm a musician first and I would say that the work that I do at my job is fulfilling, but it also allows me to have income so that I can do what I really love, mm-hmm. which is, which is music. If anybody asks me, what am I? Who, like, in one word, describe what you are and what defines you. And I would say a musician or music or mm-hmm. a singer even before an instrumentalist. That's right. what I am. Um, so uh, it, it's, some people are defined by their job. Some people are defined by what they do. Some people are a doctor because they love helping people. They love the science of the human body and, and, you know, anatomy and physiology. Some people are lawyers and some people, uh, you know, but I think not enough people really pay attention to what they really are. Yeah. Like it's enough. It's not enough to just have a job that you go to day in and day out. Like what really makes you, um, go like what really makes you happy. I think that's who you really are. Mm, yeah. If your job makes you happy and feel completely 100% fulfilled, then that's what you are. You are your job. But for me, I'm not my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, what makes me happy is anything to do with music. Right. I mean, the, the, if you think about it very generically, you can say, you know, why do you get up in the morning? Do you get up in the morning to go make music because you love making music or do you get up in the morning because you want to go and make some money so that you can leave work and then make music. 
for me, it's that second one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, and I think I think the I mean, and, but the, on the contrary is that I, I often don't start with the music bit because let's face it, I'm not going to be Slash or um, who's another famous guitarist that play with a lot of different uh, Santana. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be yeah, a yeah. Santana. I'm not going to be a Slash. Let's face it. I'm going to turn 30 next year. It's a fact. It's not happening. It could happen, but... It could happen, but I don't think so. Not me. Yeah. So what else am I? Well, I host the open mic to help mm-hmm. support artists. Uh, I know that Damien likes to sing, and he may need some guitar support, so I support him. So in that sense, music isn't the driver per se, but right. to yeah, be yeah. able to facilitate others in their yeah. chase. And I've kind of come to peace with that if this ep picks up and we go and go worldwide fine but i don't think that'll happen i'm not gonna be slashed so what else can i do well build the community support my friends support the music play and learn as much as i can yeah as as a person and and so music for you is a means to the end where of bringing people together and being happy and and you being know, able to express themselves in yeah. a way that they never thought possible mm. or, or, or feeling that feeling that I get when I play music and yeah, they yeah. get it too and, and inspire others and support them because I'm not going to be that in the limelight, you know, doing that kind of thing. I don't think. Your, yeah. yeah, your your end goal is to, yeah, create a sense of community and make help other people feel the way that you feel about music. Right. And, and so, if, yeah, by yeah. doing that, I end up limelight lime like fine, but that's not the primary purpose. Sure. I don't think. Mm-hmm. And telling a story. I like telling stories. Stories are fun. If I can do that with Damien or whoever else, and that, that's great mm-hmm. through music. I love that experience. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you've been, you've been talking recently about all like other things, other musicians that you're getting involved with and right. And exactly. With. And you know, if I, and, and if through that, I can work on my own, and I'm, I can admit this too, I'm not a very good lyricist, and I don't really work out melodies that well, and if that, through doing all these things, I get to improve that and become mm-hmm. a better songwriter and do my own songs completely alone, that'd be cool too, yeah. but I mean, it's just another thing to it, hit up. Yeah, it's, it's so strange, because there, there's a very, like when you, when you see a, a whole band performing on stage, you think about, I'm going to use Maroon 5 as the example, you see Adam Levine out there, he's singing his heart out, all the girls love him like he's he's the guy but if he's just standing there yeah exactly like damien if he's just standing there (laughs) if he's just if he's just standing there on a street corner or if he's in an empty auditorium singing that that's nothing there are like there's supporting cast there's his band members there's all his crew there there are hundreds potentially thousands of people arguably equal status Absolutely. to the singer not supporting it's just the same yeah yeah without all those people without the people without his manager without the rest of the band the marketing the, team even the marketing to an extent, team yeah he might still just be a guy who's Thanks singing in his is uh <laughs> his, <laughs> thank you thank you to rob actually he Why might equal? he might still just be a guy who's like singing in his bedroom into a hairbrush or whatever well, that's he it right if a tree falls and no one's there to hear it did the right. do you, what, what is that Right? It's all about context. There are there are so many people in the world that are that identify as musicians who like they live, breathe, eat music, and and they are so talented. Uh, um, and then there are people who are extremely successful in music, 
and maybe aren't as talented as the people that don't ever get a chance or will yeah. never get yeah. a chance. It's all, it's luck. It's timing. It's in, above all it's context. Like if you're really great, They've done it, this sort of videos and experiments. I think a violinist, very, oh, very yeah. famous yes. violinist. Like concert, Carnegie Hall level, New York yeah, City. Yeah, and like he went and played on a New York subway and nobody paid attention to him. Nobody cared. There's a kid though, the kid. It, oh, oh was it really? So oh, I okay. think that anyway, you yeah. Nobody cared who, who this guy's, they just thought he was another guy who was just playing on the, on the subway. Right. And the next night he's playing like for thousands of people at Carnegie Hall or whatever it yeah. is. And, and it's just, it's all about context there. If you, if you see someone on the street corner, um, you see them playing, you're going to have a certain, uh, expectation. You're going to have a certain predetermination of, of what kind of caliber of musician this person is. Right. But if you go and you pay, you know, a certain amount for a ticket and you go into a, a, a bona fide music venue and you sit down and you listen to it, you're going to, you're going to experience it on a, on a different level, even if they're doing the exact same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's reflected too, that if, if, if someone is extremely talented, but under, undiscovered, um, you know, you could be, you could be someone on the street corner that people are passing by and the next day you get discovered and you're the biggest thing in the world and do the exact same thing you were doing before. And people are all of a sudden interested. Yep. Uh, it's all about context. Um, but I, I think that if you, if you identify, if, if when someone asks you what you are or who you are, if you say that you're a musician or if you say that you're someone who is a lover of music or facilitates the community building aspect of music, then I think that you should follow that. Um, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to have, I often wonder if everybody followed their dreams, if the world would fall <laughs> apart, because there's so many, you know, you have certain things that are cert like very certainly necessary in life. You have, uh, sanitation workers yep. and you have welders and you have people who work in an office. Um, but if everybody did their dreams, would the world fall apart? Yeah. Like, yeah. What would happen? <laughs> what would happen? Yeah. But it's certain, it, it certainly does take a certain amount of courage and um and luck to be able to be like you know what i'm just gonna go for it and uh, whatever happens happens yeah um some people make it some people don't well and, and priorities shift there are certain people who are driven their entire lives to you know be the best and and get on that stage at madison square garden and perform in front of tens of thousands of people and there are going to be people who starting a family and raising it, that's going to be the most important thing. And those things like you can focus on that thing and have it be solely driven by it for your entire life. But you can also shift you either gradually or all at once. If you find, if you're, if you're like a insanely talented musician and all of a sudden you, you find out your, your girlfriend's pregnant, your life could change in an instant and your priorities could instantly refocus. And we don't really think about that very often until it happens to us but like all around the world these things are happening like there are musicians who are suddenly if they you get discovered suddenly music becomes an incredibly important part of your life whereas before it was just something you did for fun or you could have the opposite where where music's really important to you and then something else comes up and all of a sudden you have to switch gears to that like it's constantly 
shifting right. around. It's sort of like this snapshot right now. We're all sitting at a table. We're talking about it. That's because all of our priorities aligned. And yeah. that's why I always say, take lots of pictures, tell the story now, <laughs> take videos, because who knows what will happen tomorrow. Maybe we won't be sitting at this yeah. table doing yeah. the same thing. I mean, tomorrow we definitely won't be. But I, I will, I'll still be here. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I'll still be here. But just to, to be thankful and grateful that you've met these people along the way in this moment doing this very thing. And, uh, hopefully we continue to do it, you know, but if not, you you can't perform, then write. If you can't write, produce. If you can't produce something else, like if it's what's driving you for sure. Yeah. I, I, I like to think that all of us, at least for the most part, have found the thing that we really like to do and it doesn't necessarily align with exactly where our life is but it's it's trending towards that and that's that, that's basically what life is as i'm as i'm kind of going through my 20s to the latter half of my 20s that that's what i'm realizing is life is not about setting a goal and then just solely focusing on it it's about it's about deciding what you want and then making small decisions that point your life in that direction yeah and what direction do you think we're headed in rob uh <laughs> I think it's slow. I don't know exactly. Well, obviously, we're all headed in different directions. But because we're starting from different points, our trajectories can intertwine all the way through. I I don't know. I'd love to, like, you know, you guys get picked up by a label and then go on tour and, and then I'm your road manager. Like, that would be... That'd be crazy. We've hey. talked about that before, but like that, that's one possible path, but it all depends on the little decisions and, and things that come up. Something totally out of your control can come up, come up right now. I'm not working. I could get an email or a phone call tomorrow that somebody wants me to work for them. And, and then at least that kind of daytime path that I'm, that I've been on so far for the last couple of months will be totally different. Like there's just no way to right. know. And, be, and I want to share this little tidbit because it's happened, what, five minutes ago. That feedback on Twitter got followed by... Yeah. CBC! Hey! Yeah. So CBC, we if you're it. listening, it's we Rob Attrell, it Damien Brooms, B-R-O-O-M-E-S, and Brian <laughs> oh Lee, Brian with an I, and L-E-E, <laughs> like Bruce Lee, but Brian Lee. Yeah, my name being the hardest one to spell is the only one that didn't get that treatment. <laughs> Attrell, A-T-T-R-E-L-L. Thank you, CBC. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you guys have any last words this week before we are before you guys are in the studio? Uh, no, I I don't know. If you got any questions or feedback or suggestions, feedback you should send it feedback. to send it. I mean, on Twitter, we're underscore feedback FM. Uh, also, if you look up feed, if you if you type in feedback into Facebook search, probably come up. It's a big microphone in the word feedback. Uh, you can find if you go to unwindmedia.com slash feedback, that's kind of the, the hub for this show. Uh, I'll be able to find stuff there. Uh, obviously, that'll be where you can go in the in the coming week and a half or so before uh, the middle of the month of January, uh, where you can go to check out the album, Feedback Volume 1, once that comes out. But uh, yeah, from there, you'll be able to send us email or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, ask questions, anything you want. Thanks again, guys. This was awesome. Thank you. Mercy Buckets. And we'll uh, talk to you guys in February. All righty.